you have your Bibles this evening, turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. We'll look actually look at the verses 11 through 13 and uh, see what the book of 1 John has to say to us tonight. Uh, always hope to keep your uh, Bibles open because we'll take a look around in 1 John as we talk about this book. And I um, was glad to see that, um, that Madeline's prepared in case the message goes long. She had her backpack on, I saw tonight, so <laughs> she's in good shape if the message goes long. I don't know if she's anticipating that or not, but uh, anyway, she's ready. So, um, amen. So, looking for you on 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, and, um, which I believe are the theme verses, really the central verses to the book of 1 John. And, um, and I do believe that the, um, the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, I do believe that he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. The, um, I mean, the text is so similar, and uh, it comes right out of John 14 through 16. You can, uh, 13 through 16, you can almost hear it. So I do really uh, believe in my heart that that's who wrote these, who wrote these three books and, um, and also the book of Revelation, the Gospel of John. I think the same writer. Look, if you will, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God's given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has a son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. They catch the purpose clause here, and this is why I believe this is really the theme. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that, here's your reason, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Well, some tests are important. I don't know if you, how long it's been since you've had a test, but some tests are more important uh, than other tests, and sometimes unusual things happen uh, during tests. I was talking to Laura about this, and she uh, when she was in college as a senior, interestingly enough, Laura did not know that um, there was an older New Testament, and she was a teaching assistant for a religion professor. <laughs> Oddly enough, who would have thought? Her um, religion professor actually asked one day, what's your favorite Bible verse? And Laura said, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> which, of course, is not in the Bible. And when the professor said, that's not in the Bible, Laura, in her humble own way, said, are you sure? <laughs> he said, yes, pretty sure, <laughs> actually. So anyway, she was, of all the odd things, she was his teaching assistant that, that year. And um, she did not show up for one of her exams. And since he was her, that was her teaching assistant, she, he actually called her and woke her up and said, Laura, where are you? She said, I'm asleep. He said, well, you better get here and take your exam if you know what's good for you. And so she had to get up and rush, rush to the exam. And the, the, I read one thing funnier than that. One teacher's assistant said uh, during a particular exam that um, a guy came running in with just a couple, like 10, 15 minutes left in the exam, of a 50-minute exam, dressed as a taco. And so she tried to kick him out of the class, and she didn't think, she's like, you're not in this class. And he actually proved that he was in the class, been to a Halloween party the night before, passed out, woke up, and <laughs> realized it was the middle of his test, and had time to change clothes. So he ran in there and did the best he could in the final 10 minutes, dressed as a taco. <laughs> so uh, hopefully the test was on Mexican food, right? Well, what about a test for salvation? What if God gave you a test to see if you're really, really saved or not? That's actually what John does in 1 John, in 1 John the whole book. He actually is writing to people so they can know that they're saved. And what he does, he gives, some people say there's 12 tests here of different kinds. Some people, I think there's three major tests here that John says that we should give ourselves to make sure that we're in the family. Now, tonight on a Sunday night, you think, well, Brother Barry, do you think we're not saved? Well, I never know who's saved and who's not saved. But also tonight, this is really good for you to hear so that you can talk to people. 
and point them to Scripture because one of the things people have asked me the most in my ministry is, how do I know if I'm really saved? Hopefully, if you talk to people, somebody's going to ask you that one day. And 1 John really is the book to take somebody to if somebody says, I'm not really sure if I'm saved or not. I would take them to 1 John, uh, what I'm going to share with you tonight, and also to Romans 10, uh, 9 through 13, where the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart uh, that God that raised you from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth, confession is made to salvation, and with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Verse 13, for whosoever believes or whosoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. I take them there, and I take them to 1 John, and uh, we'll see about why we do that tonight. Because when God divides people up, when God separates people, He really does it into mainly two, you might say three categories, but mainly two categories. We might say, you know, divide people into upper class, lower class, middle class. We might divide people by talent, or how they, what sports teams they cheer for, you know, what kind of educational background they have. But God really divides people into the haves and have-nots. You have Jesus and therefore you have eternal life or you do not have Jesus and you do not have eternal life. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3 would add a third category to that. That is those who are Christians but are carnal Christians, backslidden Christians. So you could really say, you know, the natural person who's lost the spiritual man who is filled with the Spirit, and then the Christian who is saved but not filled with the Holy Spirit. You could do it that way. What's important about this is the issue is life or death. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13 again. Notice what it says. This is a testimony that God has given us what? Eternal life. And when he talks about life in 1 John, he means eternal life. This life, what? This eternal life is in his son. If you have the son, you have life. What kind of life? Eternal life, okay? If you do not have life, you do not. If you do not have the son, you do not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. These are not secondary issues. He writes to know that you have eternal life. Now, one of the reasons it's helpful to preach on and talk about something like this is that most people, at some time or another, will doubt their salvation. I've told you before, I think Ron Dunn uh, said the only person he had ever met, he was an evangelist and pastor for many, many years, and said the only person he had ever met that did not doubt their salvation was his wife. Said that he doubted it on many occasions, but she said that she had never doubted it. Uh, most people have. I've doubted my salvation since I was saved, especially the first year or two. Uh, most people have, and if you doubt it, it's, that's not doesn't mean that you're not saved. It probably means that you have a concern about it, which is a good sign. The people that bother me are not the people that have a doubt and are concerned and are in earnest about it. The people that bother me are people who live like they're not saved and they have no concern about it. It doesn't bother them, okay? The fact that you're bothered may mean that the Holy Spirit is there and that the Holy Spirit is working in your life to bring you uh, back to himself. Now, eternal life, when the Bible talks about eternal life, is God's life. Eternal life is not length of life, it's quality of life. When you receive Christ and you receive eternal life, you do not get more years. Everybody lives forever. Everybody is an eternal being in length of time. 
what eternal life is, is that you have God's life. John 17, 3, the Bible says that, that this life is in His Son. Eternal life is that you know Jesus Christ. If you know Him, you have eternal life. He defines eternal life. And so it's good for us to let God define our terms. Eternal life is not length, it's quality. It's God's quality of life. In fact, 2 Peter that we looked at a couple of weeks ago said, that by his promises, we have become partakers in the divine nature. We have become, in some way, one with and in Christ. That is who we are. We share. In fact, Colossians 1.27 says the mystery that's been hidden for the ages that has been revealed in the New Testament is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Why do we, and remember hope is not wish, hope is certainty. Why do we know that we have glory coming? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And we'll see that as we walk through 1 John. Now, I really do um, believe as you read through 1 John, if you read straight through, you're going to get the idea, I think I read this before. <laughs> Seems like I read this in the previous chapter because John really does kind of cycle around three, to me, three big ideas. Uh, obedience or, or, or to the commands of God, loving your brother and your sister, and trusting Christ. And he does it over, he's like, wow, man, we just talked about obedience in the last chapter. We just talked about loving your neighbor in the last chapter. And he does that, and he kind of, what he's doing is he's emphasizing this. He doesn't have bold, italic print to put it in. So he's emphasizing these things are really, really important. So here's the three tests that I believe John gives. Some people say there's as many as 12 tests of salvation in 1 John. I believe you can boil it down to three. First of all, there's the test of behavior. If you're really saved, your character should change. If you're really saved, your integrity, your relationship to the commands of God change. Now look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Now by this, we know that we know Him. So you know that you're saved. How? By this. If we keep His commandments, He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. One of John's problems is he can't come out and say what he means. <laughs> he just beats around the bush all the time, right? Uh, John says, if you say you know God and you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. That bother anybody? Really should. I mean, if you, don't, if you never studied this, you don't dig into it. You really should because it sounds like if I'm disobedient in any way, uh, then, then I'm lying. And interesting, it says, he who says, and that phrase is used several times in 1 John. It's like John is anticipating people saying, I'm a Christian, I know God, but they don't keep his commandments. They don't live in a way that's consistent with the Christian faith. Now, we know that from 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 10, that he's not talking about people who never sin. If you look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, and then verse 10, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So he's used this word liar a couple of times. One is if we say we're not sinners, we, we're a liar, and we call God a liar. And then if we say we're a Christian, and yet we don't keep his commandments, we're a liar. And the key to it, how do, you, how, do you, how do you pull all this together? Well, the key to all this is in the word keep. If we say that we love God and we do not keep his commandments, 
The word keep there is a sailing term. And it means to keep a watchful, vigilant eye out for. So the sailors of this day are people who sailed by the stars. And so they're, you know, they're looking at the stars. They're looking at nature. And they're trying to chart their course. And so what are they going to do? They're going to keep a watchful, vigilant eye on those stars and on their, on their, on their you know, ancient instruments and try to make sure they're in the right way. Do they miss it? Yes. They miss it from time to time, but they're watching for it. And that's the idea with a person who's a Christian. If we say we're a Christian, we should be concerned about our obedience. We should want to obey God. We should want to live a life consistent with God out of our love for Him, out of the fact that when we give our heart and life to Jesus, He changes our hearts. We're new creatures. We have a new nature now. It's inconsistent with us to live consistently outside of God's will and especially uh, to be happy with it. When we were in the Ukraine, I think I've told you before, but when we were in the Ukraine, um, uh, there they would not, uh, they had changed it in the recent past when we were there, um, this is, of course, about 10 or 15 years ago, uh, you could not be baptized until you were 16 years old. Uh, and the reason they changed that, it wasn't that there's an arbitrary thing, but there were so many people that were making decisions young and then living a very inconsistent lifestyle. They thought it was bringing disgrace on the name of Christ. They felt like it was better before they are baptized and profess to the world that they're a believer, that they have a, a sense of what that's all about. And before you're baptized, if you came to before the church and said, I've given my heart and life to Jesus, and I want to follow the Lord in baptism, um, sometimes, a good bit of the time, they will go talk to your family and go talk to your friends. And uh, even want to look at your Bible to see if there are signs that you've been reading it. See if you've marked it up any. Talk to your family, to your parents. Do they have a quiet time? Are they obedient at home? Might talk to your friends. Have you noticed a change in this person's life? I mean, they wanted uh, uh, to be sure that if you're going to declare before the world that you're a follower of Jesus, that you have some kind of evidence for that salvation. I read about a, an evangelist years ago who, uh, when he'd come to town, he was one of these real fiery evangelists. Um, a lot of emotion in the meetings, you know, a lot of uh, shouting, raising hands, amen, all that kind of stuff. And uh, he would sometimes appoint a shouting committee. What the shouting committee did, if you were one that shouted a lot during the meeting, um, they would go out in the community and find out if you were a good worker at your job and if you paid your bills on time and if you treated people right and if you didn't, they would tell you to quit shouting in the meeting. <laughs> they wanted to have some consistency going on with what was going on. Now, here's the thing. It's not that you keep every command. Nobody can do that. God knows that the whole Bible goes against that. But what it's talking about here is an attitude of, I want to obey God's will. There is a desire within me to obey God's will, and I watch for it, and I seek to do that, and I try to do that. Let me say it a different way. If a person can live, just as happy outside the will of God as they can inside the will of God, it's likely. Now, I cannot tell somebody that you're saved or you're not saved, but if you can be just as happy outside as you can inside, it's very likely that that person's never been saved. You could say it a different way. If a person can willfully, deliberately, knowingly, live outside the will of God without any conviction in their heart of that, then I would say they don't have a 
biblical reason for believing that they're saved. I'm not saying that they're not. I'm just saying if you can knowingly, willingly, deliberately disobey God without any conviction of sin, without any remorse, without any sorrow, because the Holy Spirit lives within you, then I would say you don't have a biblical reason for believing that you genuinely are saved. Now, one of the interesting things about this, as you look through this, this test, and we'll see the next, te next two tests as well, all the tests that John has are in the present tense. And the reason that's important is this. John bases our assurance of our salvation on what's present in our life today, not something we did 40 years ago. John would say, you know that you're saved, but what's happened in your heart today, not that you prayed a prayer when you were 10. The Bible doesn't base your assurance of your salvation on something you did years ago. The Bible bases it on what's going on in your heart right now. It's, not, it's about continuing faith, enduring faith, real faith. Not a, not a some kind of sham faith. And so if we trust in Christ, we have a new nature, and we have a family resemblance. When I started work at, uh, um, at Wholesome Bakery, when my dad worked, I worked in the, he wasn't my immediate boss, but I worked in his department. And uh, they, my dad's name is Gene Wilkinson, and uh, they started calling me Little Gene. And I, you know, as an 18-year-old, that was not exactly a compliment. <laughs> and I asked what I wanted because my daddy was bald-headed, and I wasn't. <laughs> and I thought, what do you think? Well, and I asked him, I said, why do y'all call me little Gene? And they said, because you walk just like him. <laughs> y'all walk just like each other when you're walking across here because of family resemblance. Sometimes Laura and I see somebody, and we'll say, Man, I don't know who that is, but that's a, you know, Jones or Smith-looking outfit right there. I mean, they just look like they belong in that family. If you're saved, you ought to have some kind of family resemblance to your Heavenly Father. Second thing, that's the first thing, the test of behavior. The second test is the test of brotherhood. The test of brotherhood, that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have an affection for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Now we know, it's our word again, know, that we have passed from death to life. That's salvation, okay, from a, being dead in trespasses and sins to eternal life, life in John's eternal life. Because, how do you know? Because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And so John is making one of the tests of salvation, how you relate to the family of God. Read you another verse. 1 John 4, verses 20 and 21, New International Version. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Boy, John does not beat around the bush, does he? He's pretty plain there. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, the idea of the word hate, you say if you hate your brother, you, know, you don't abide in life. That is a fixed mindset. And John says, when you're saved, you like God's people. You want to be around God's people. In fact, it's, a, it's interesting that sometimes you can go somewhere and meet somebody that you've never met before, may not have a whole lot in common, but you find out they're followers of Jesus and they love God, 
And, man, you can connect with these people, I mean, just in a half hour or an hour in ways that you may not connect with somebody you know in all your life. You can connect on a, on a deep heart level. Why? You are blood kin. You're blood, you're kin by the blood of Jesus Christ. God changes us and makes us this way. In fact, our best friends ought to be Christian friends. The people we have the most in common with, the people we have the, the most uh, that we can share with and talk about and dream about ought to be Christian people. Wow, we're heading the same direction. We're going the same way. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Now, about your love for one another... We do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. There's something in your heart that loves the brothers and sisters in Christ when you're genuinely saved. I heard about a guy that was uh, preaching a revival up in Kentucky one time. And they said that the, uh, the meanest guy in town came and um, sat on the back row. And uh, that night, the meanest guy in town. Everybody, you know, hardly anybody liked him. And that guy came down the aisle that night to be saved. And the pastor really didn't believe it. And so he sort of half-heartedly led him in a prayer and sort of half-heartedly presented him to the church. And the church sort of half-heartedly said, well, amen. <laughs> you know, I guess we'll take you in, you know. And so the next morning, the pastor got the evangelist and they went to the guy's house because he's like, I don't think we got to share some verses with this guy. We've got to talk this over, and, and he needs to be under conviction a little bit more, a little longer maybe, that kind of thing. And so they went to the guy's house, and uh, he wasn't there. And they asked his wife, said, where, where is he? She said, I don't know. He's, he's usually here at this time. He got up early this morning and left. And so um, they went by his house two or three times. They, they wanted to talk to him before church that night. And so went by his house two or three times that day, and every time they went by there, uh, he wasn't there. And they'd ask his wife, said, it's really odd. He's almost always home at different times during the day. It's really, really odd. I don't know where he is. And so that night when they pulled up to church, he's, sitting on, he's already sitting on the front step, first one church. And uh, they said, well, look, man, we, we came to uh, talk to you today about your profession of faith, and, and we want to share some things with you. Well, where have you been? He said, well, uh, I've been going around town all day apologizing to people how I've treated them. And he said, I've been ugly to people. I've been mean to people. I know that. And uh, they said, well, who told you to do that? He said, I just knew. I just knew that I was supposed to do that. You see, if you think about it, what do you love about God? One of the most things, one of the best things you love about God is that he loves you unconditionally, right? Celebrate that, worship that, glad of that. Well, if that's what we love most about God, that should be one of the ways we express our love toward, uh, of God toward each other, that we love each other unconditionally. So we got the test of, of behavior. You got the test of brotherhood. By the way, by the way, we, most of us love John 3, 16, right? But one of the verses that, because um, John 3, 16 talks about, you know, that God's love for us. 1 John 3, 16 is another really good verse. Listen to 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? John says, if you love God, you're born again. You should be willing to sacrifice for the good of your brothers and sisters. It's an evidence that you're really saved. Last of all, it's a test of belief, the test of belief. Look at 1 John 5, 11 through 13 again. This is, this is the big test, all right? This is the big test. 
And this is the testimony. God's given us eternal life. This life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Now watch this. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know. And that word know means to know with absolute certainty. Doesn't say that you may wish, doesn't say that you may hope, and say that you can kind of hope it's true, maybe it's true, could be true. He says that you can know with certainty that you have eternal life and that you can continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And the reason it says that is because if your faith is real, it will continue. The Bible says, he that endures to the end will be saved. People who don't believe in eternal security say, see that? See that? You've got to endure to the end to be saved. I would say, hey, your faith is real. God will see to it that you endure to the end. He that began a good work in you will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. It's not based on me holding on to God. It's based on God holding on to me. And I'm really glad that that's true. Amen? And so why, why, the key word there is believe, right? And we know that that word believe does not mean believe like believe that George Washington was the president of the, of the first president of the United States. I believe that, but that doesn't have anything to do with my life. I'm not trusting George Washington for anything. I'm not trusting him to do anything in my life. The word believe there means to trust, to lean on to commit yourself to. It has the idea you're going to believe in this person. You're going to renounce an old life and trust yourself to this person for a new life. It is truly a commitment kind of belief. I trust that what Christ did was good enough for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe his payment was enough for my sin. And so I trust him. And so how you know that you're really saved is that you have abiding faith. You have real trust in your heart tonight that Christ has forgiven your sins. You see, the test of behavior um, may catch you on a bad day, right? May make a 75. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe it's a bad time. You've been stressed. You've been overwhelmed. Um, things are going wrong for you. Most of us have had a time in our life where we've kind of gotten away from God and our behavior test wasn't so good. That's why we're so grateful 1 John 1, 9 still in there if we confess our sins, right? Brotherhood test may catch you on a bad day. Maybe you just had a falling out with somebody. Maybe somebody just hurt your feelings. Somebody talked ugly about your kids or something like that. And uh, maybe you didn't do too good on the brotherhood test. Should be some evidence there in those two. But this test is the test. This is the acid test. This is the test that, that, that you have to pass. And notice once again, it is talking present tense. How do you know that you're saved? Well, I, when I was 10 years old, I prayed a prayer and I cried and, uh, and the preacher asked me if I was really sincere and I think I was really sincere. But is there trusting faith in your heart tonight? That's the real test. Who or what are you trusting in for eternal life this evening? I had a, a young lady come to my office in my first church and she was, um, she was in her early 20s and she said, I want to know if I'm saved. And I said, well, only you and the Lord really can know that. And she said, well, here's what I want to talk to you about. So she shared with me. And um, she said, I go out every weekend. I get drunk. I do drugs. I sleep around, all this kind of stuff. And um, she said, I prayed a prayer when I was 10 at Bible school. And I want to know if I'm saved. I said, does it bother you that you do these things? She said, not really. I said, do you have any conviction of sin? That you do these things, you ever wake up feeling guilty, you ever wake up feeling like I need, to, I need to make a correction here, I need to come back to Christ? She said, I really don't feel any of that. 
And I said, you know, what are you trusting in, in your heart right now for eternal life? What's, what kind of faith do you have in Christ? She said, much. And I said, well, you know, I can't tell you if you're saved or not, but I can tell you on the basis of Scripture, you don't have a biblical reason to believe that you're saved. I would be extremely, extremely concerned if I were you. Look at John 6, 47. Very truly I say to you, the one who believes has eternal life. The one who believes has, once again, present tense. So when I was saved, I was 17 years old. I was sitting kind of right back here about a pew or two behind where Stan sitting tonight. And uh, we had a revival service. I'd been on conviction for years. And uh, so that night, I decided to give my heart and life to Jesus. And uh, so that night, I, um, where I sat in my pew, I said, Lord Jesus, please come into my heart and save me. That's all I said. It was one of those things, and it bothered me a little bit because I'd been in church all my life. I'd heard people, you know, quote a sinner's prayer. I'd read tracts, all this, all this kind of thing. And uh, when it came to the, where I thought, well, I, need, I want to give my life to Jesus tonight, and uh, I couldn't think of what I was supposed to say. So I just said, Lord Jesus, save me. And, uh, and I got up and I came down. I thought, well, the preacher will know what to do. And so I came and down, the, down the aisle and I told the preacher, I want to accept Jesus as my personal Savior. And he said, well, God bless you. Have a seat on the, first, on the front pew. And they gave me a card to fill out. And the card, seeing the name, address, which seemed a little bit anticlimactic. It's one reason I don't ask people to fill out cards here. We get information later. Um, so I filled out my, my card, and there was the church clerk sitting there, and she said, I'm so, so happy for you, and, um, you know, you coming to be saved. And I said, yeah. And so I filled out the card, and I was baptized a few weeks later. But it bothered me that I came down and I said, I want to be saved, and you didn't pray with me. And so, uh, several months later, I was mom used to watch um, Rex Humbard. Anybody remember Rex Humbard? A couple of you remember Rex Humbard on Sunday mornings. Uh, Rex Humbard, and there was the Gospel Jubilee. Jubilee, Jubilee. Y'all remember some of that? Mama did that every time our Sunday morning deal while I was drinking my coffee milk and um, and eating my pop tart and getting ready for church. That's what was on. And so when I was when I was seventeen, I would hear Rex Humbard, and then he would say, um, "If you." want to give your life to Jesus, say this prayer. And he would give a prayer. And I thought, man, I didn't say that prayer. Mine was a lot shorter. And so I would say that prayer. And, um, and, but I didn't feel a whole lot different, you know. And so the, the next week I might say it again. And then about a year, year and a half later, about, actually about two years later, I, was watch, I can remember this day, I was watching Billy Graham on TV. Uh, the family was outside doing stuff outside, and I was the only one in there watching Billy Graham. And uh, Billy Graham preached a gospel message. I listened to it, and he said, if you want to be saved, say this prayer. And I memorized it, memorized it. And I ran to my bed, and I knelt to my bedside, and I said, God, I've had doubts. I don't know if I said the right prayer or not. And, uh, and Lord, but I want to say the right prayer tonight. I want to be, I want to be saved. I want, I want to know that I'm saved. And so I said that prayer. And it wasn't until I really kind of dug into this thing that I realized there wasn't a perfect prayer. <laughs> there isn't a set prayer that you have to say it this way. That what is needed is trust in Jesus in my heart right now that he has saved me, trusting that he has done enough for my sins and that my whole dependence and my whole confidence about my sin problem, my going to heaven, is exclusively in Christ. 
So, when was I saved? I think it was when I was 17. Pretty sure. 80% sure. <laughs> that it was when I was 17. May have been with Rex Humbard. I 5%, 10% with Billy Graham. I don't know if I made it to 100% yet or not. <laughs> but how do I know for 100% that I'm saved tonight? It's not what I did when I was 17. Not what I did watching Rex Humbard. Not what I did when I was watching Billy Graham. It's because there's a presence of saving faith in my heart tonight. Tonight is what makes the difference. Would you stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed? And so tonight I, I know that most of you probably have assurance of your salvation, but it's helpful for us to look at this for two reasons. One, to rejoice that it is by your faith, it is by trusting in Christ. And also to be able to share with other people Hey, look, your behavior really should change. And your love for God's people really should change. You really should have a new heart. And it comes, the crucial test, the acid test comes. Are you trusting right now in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you turned from your sins and placed all your confidence in Him? I was listening to a documentary last week. A pastor was talking to people about what they believed in. So one lady that wasn't a Christian, had a different religion, she said, you know, I just believe if we are kind and we do our best and we don't hurt anybody, that it's kind of all the same. It's not all the same. It's about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, the eternal life that we need. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would take your word and minister it to us, Lord, the place that we need it. Lord, you... You know what we've heard and what we've experienced today about your peace. We've talked about that a good bit today. Maybe these tests of salvation bring to our hearts somebody we need to be praying for to be saved. Maybe it needs to bring a gratefulness to our heart of how we're saved. But Lord, would you minister to your people right now as Lisa plays softly.